You're listening to the Author Stories Podcast. Bringing you the story behind the stories and the storytellers. Margaret Wise, Sherry Brooks, Sheena Kamal, Matthew Quick, J.T. Ellison, Walt D. Williams, Brad Ford, Corey, Dr. O, Brandon Sanderson, Robin Mom, Ernest Klein, Jim Butcher, Sherwin Harris. Visit HankGarner.com for archives of all the shows. Today's guest is... Thanks for joining me again for the Author Stories Podcast, where I bring you the story behind the stories and the storytellers. Today, I'm super excited to have Caitlin Ware on the show with me. She has an amazing new book. It's called The Damage, and it's out available everywhere now. There's going to be links to it in the show notes. You need to go grab it while you're listening to this. This is a must-read for sure. Uh, Welcome to the show, Caitlin. Thanks, Hank. I'm happy to be here. I'm excited to have you. Um, Caitlin, we begin each show with the same question, and that question is, what is your first memory of wanting to be a writer or storyteller? Okay. First memory is probably a little bit of um, not so much a, a memory, but it's it's what feels like a memory because people have told me a story. You know how sure. that goes where your parents oh, yeah. tell you stuff? Um, I used to write all the time. And one of the things that I wrote was a um, novel called um, Squirrelock Holmes. And it was pretty obviously (laughs) plagiarizing like my very loose idea of what Sherlock Holmes was about. It was probably Hound of the Baskervilles. Like I had watched the movie of it or something. I was too young to have even read it. But I know that I wrote that novel and I like, and I say novel, it was probably incredibly short. And I had like illustrations and stuff. And like the great tragedy of my life is that my parents don't know where it is. They saved everything and they just don't know where that one is. <laughs> so oh, we're hoping goodness. one day that it, it pops up. But that to me is like a pretty early, like, yeah, that kid really wanted to be a writer. She was like copying <laughs> Sir, Sir, what's his name? Sir Conan Arthur? Arthur, Arthur Conan, Conan Doyle. Doyle. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, Which, what's the order of names? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> So anyway, that's that's probably my earliest. <laughs> so I know that that book has been lost to time, mm. but remembering back, um, do you do you feel like you had a grasp of of story structure of you know what makes uh you know the the beginning, middle, and end, and you know the the journey that the writer takes us through? Oh, I'm I'm confident that I didn't because the other books that they saved are <laughs> awful. Like they make absolutely no sense. <laughs> they're like they're almost funny because they're so bad. And so I did find a box of them one day when we were moving houses and I sent some photos to friends and I even texted my editor a copyright page that I had made. Oh, that's fantastic. (laughs) But they were, they were quite awful story structures. Yeah. That's fantastic. Um, how old would you have been around this time? I honestly don't know. Um, I mean, like how old are you when you're able to write, but very poorly, like your penmanship, you know, maybe you're seven or wow. I, I'm, I mean, I have an infant, so I'm going to eventually be really good at child development questions. But right now I just have no memory <laughs> of how old certain kids are. <laughs> oh, that's, that's wonderful. Um, were you a, were you a bookish kid? Did you, were you one of these girls that walked around with her nose in a book all the time? Yeah. I mean, I think probably even less than some of my friends were like some of my friends were incredible readers and I wasn't like that, but I definitely, um, read a lot and I read like certain things. Like I know I loved the American girl, both like the series of books about the dolls, but also they had kind of like a nonfiction 
situation going on. And I just like devoured basically everything that they made. Um, I also weirdly loved the Hardy Boys. For some reason, I didn't like Nancy Drew. I don't remember what it was, <laughs> but I remember I always would check out the Hardy Boys at the library. Um, Goosebumps was too scary, but I, I was a good reader. I definitely lost it for a while. But when I was a kid, I think I was I was pretty good about it. Yeah. <laughs> well, from from Squirrelock Holmes to, yeah. <laughs> you know, the, the Hardy Boys, um, do you remember what it was that uh, that got you, uh, you know, so interested in mysteries? And what was it about mysteries that really, uh, you know, grabbed hold of you? I don't know exactly what it was, but, you know, now that you ask that, I had an incredible book as a kid called um, The Eleventh Hour. And it was um, a mystery where these animals were like at a birthday party and someone eats the cake and the whole book has all of these puzzles and clues and you're supposed to try to figure out which of the party guests ate the cake and it was so well done and I was obsessed with the book and even after I knew the answer I would reread it over and over like looking for the clues and so I wonder if that book actually was kind of the beginning of loving mysteries because it was definitely written for children um so if you've got kids out there, like look up the 11th hour. I'm pretty sure that was the name of it. Um, and I feel like the author's first name is Graham. And I don't know why I remember that. Um, but that was probably like the beginning of it for me. And I think that I've just always really loved that excited feeling of trying to figure out the puzzle. And right. when you figure it out, it's really satisfying. And when you don't figure it out, it's really satisfying because you got surprised. Like, I feel like it's just a genre that no matter what happens, I'm always really satisfied reading it. <laughs> gotcha. um, it as someone who, who knew that she was going to be a writer and, you know, that the, <laughs> the dream is out there, um, you did the most logical thing that you could do to become a writer, and that's pursue a law degree and, and, <laughs> and a law practice. Oh, what was it that drew you to, to the law? Oh, so um, in college, so, okay, this is going to make sense too with your mystery question. I initially thought that I was going to go into forensics. And so I went to this school called Mercyhurst that had a really good forensics program. But then once I was really studying it my first year, I realized I didn't actually want to be a scientist. And that was the way that I had wanted to go into forensics. And then I was trying different majors and I ended up doing marriage and family studies and um criminal justice. So like that works perfectly with the book that I ended up writing. But I got really interested in this idea of becoming a juvenile defense attorney. And I thought that that would be a better fit for me than becoming a marriage and family therapist. And those were the two things that I had wanted to do. And so I ended up going with juvenile defense attorney that just seemed like a slightly better fit. And that's why I went to law school. It was like quite specifically to pursue that career. Well, uh, you know, you start thinking about someone that writes uh, thrillers and uh, domestic thrillers, mm. especially, and and you know, start getting in that vein. And and honestly, one of the best backgrounds would be someone that that you know dealt with with family law, and right. um, you know, that there there definitely is a uh, is a connection there that can be made, and and probably some tools picked up along the way that that you know can't hurt for sure. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. I feel like my legal writing, although it, it made it maybe a little harder to kind of get back into creative writing, um, yeah. it also made me like a really careful writer. And I I do think 
because they, I mean, they teach you this in law school and I think they're really right that lawyers have to be good storytellers. Sure. And so I think that was something that it just kind of built that skill for me. And then I went from being confined to a set of facts because this is what the testimony is going to be, or this is what, you know, we've agreed on at this juncture because you're doing a certain kind of motion or something like that. Instead, now I got to make up the facts and then I got to tell the story. <laughs> and so that was more fun. <laughs> but well, I think the law practice definitely helped you with that part of it. Well, and, you know, when when you're dealing with law, you, you definitely have to get the facts right. I mean, you yeah. know, there, there's um, there's that aspect of it. But there definitely is an aspect of 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 being a storyteller, of, of yeah. being able to be persuasive and to mm-hmm. get the other side to understand your your point of view, um, that, that those things just go hand in hand, it would seem like. Absolutely. And if you're at the point of actually having a trial of some kind. Right. Especially. Want, yeah. You want to convince a judge, you want to convince a jury, or maybe you've already had the trial and now you're trying to convince like, um, a group of judges who are acting to decide whether there was an error. Like you're always telling a story to someone but like you said, sometimes you're at mediation and you're telling the story to the other side and you're trying to help them understand. Or even like sometimes you're you're trying to help your client understand the other side of the story and maybe you're able to present it to them in a way that they can hear a little bit less emotionally than when they're hearing it directly from the other side. Right. And so it's it's all a lot of storytelling, yeah. yeah. So Caitlin, you're you're practicing law and uh the the storytelling just won't leave you alone. When when did did you start working on a novel while you were practicing law? Or, uh, you know, did you uh, did did you know this is something you wanted to pursue and then and stop practicing law? How how did all of this begin to snowball for you? Yeah, um, I wrote the novel while I was still practicing. So I was working at a firm where I was doing something that in Maine is called court appointed law. It's kind of similar to public defender work um, because we don't have public defenders here. And so I was essentially doing a lot of like criminal. Well, I wasn't doing actually a lot of criminal defense. I was doing a lot of juvenile defense, which is similar, but it's with um, adolescent clients. And then I was doing, um, I'll just say other kinds of law so that I don't talk forever about it. But the job wasn't really working for me. I was like pretty much everything I was working on had like endangered children in it to some extent. And it was just like really kind of crushing me, just the kind of work I was doing. And so I started writing in the morning before I went to work as just like, this is going to be my outlet. This is going to be something that I have that's just for me and I'm going to do it every day. And then after a year of doing that, I finally said, okay, it's time to leave this practice. So I moved to a different law practice where I was doing something um, much less emotionally taxing. It was just like kind of standard civil procedure. And um, I did that for a year and I kept editing the novel. And then I got the agent, sold the novel. And once we had had like I have a two book deal in the United States and in the UK. And once that had happened, I talked to my husband and said, yeah, I'm not going to lawyer anymore right now. And so um, I still have a, I have a law license that's inactive. Essentially. I still have a few years that I could really easily um, go back to the law without having to do too much work. And then I could always in the future do it too, but it would take more work. <laughs> so gotcha. I have about three years to really make sure I'm I'm happy not practicing, but so far 
I'm happy. <laughs> so far, so good. Huh? Yeah. <laughs> Looking for a tool to help you visualize your story before the drafting begins? PlotPens is cloud-based and optimized for any device. There's nothing to download. From the new writer who isn't sure how to tell their story to the veteran who can increase their productivity dramatically, we've had experienced writers lay out a detailed structure for several novels in a series in a matter of a few days. The app takes you through four steps of the process, the concept or logline. Make sure you have a solid concept that you can keep coming back to throughout the process. The outline, 12 beats and three acts, each has a description of what should be happening with examples. The board, 40 cards. We take the 12 beats and add sub-beats to those, breaking it down even further and being very specific about what should go into each. These also have examples and descriptions. Write. We take those 40 cards and turn them into a to-do list. For a 50,000 word book, it's about two cards per chapter roughly. We have a beautiful editor built into the app. You can export your manuscript to a PDF anytime with the click of a button. Let Plot Pins help you visualize your writing project. Use code HANK10 to get 10% off Plot Pins. PlotPins.com. Authors, I have a fantastic new service to tell you about. It's called PubSite. PubSite is a service to help you build your very own website, your home on the web, where you can promote your work and give your fans a place to connect with you. PubSite is a website platform that allows every author, regardless of budget, to have a great-looking professional website. Developed by the book marketing professionals at FSB Associates, PubSite is the new easy-to-use DIY website builder developed specifically for books and authors. Whether you're an author of one book or 20, or a small publisher, PubSite allows you to build, design, and most importantly, update your website pain-free. No need to be dependent on a designer or webmaster to make a small but costly change to your website. Save the money and do it yourself. PubSite is the best platform for authors because it's a book-centric platform. PubSite was built just for authors and small publishers. Every design, feature, and layout is book-centric. They have customized designs for you to use. It's easy to build. No coding or HTML is necessary to create a stunning, professional-looking website with all the features you want. Get a custom domain name, yourname.com. It's simple to update. You can add all of your books, add a blog and a book tour, sell from any retailer, manage your email list and social media, and even do e-commerce. Build your website with a 14-day free trial, then pay just $19.99 per month, which includes hosting. And we offer packages starting at $499 to set up the website for you. Pub-Site.com, the place to help authors find their home on the web. Um, Caitlin, you you are from Maine, and uh, you live in Maine again, if, if I understand right. And yeah. the damage is set in a uh, in, in a town in southern Maine. Yeah. Um, how do you feel like the place that you're from, Maine specifically, um, affects the the stories that you tell? I'm I'm always fascinated by you know the sense of place and and what what makes us who we are. Um, you know, depending on where we're from and that, how does Maine seep into you as a storyteller? Yeah. 
Well, one thing that I think is maybe like a, a slightly drier answer, but I think it deserves to be said is that I, I picked Southern Maine because that's what I knew procedurally. And I do think if you're writing like, so my story is about the aftermath of a sexual assault and the criminal process following that. And so to me, it was really important to get that as right as I humanly could. And so because I had been practicing in Southern Maine, that's why I said it in Southern Maine. Um, and I think that even in Central Maine or in Northern Maine, the process is going to be a little bit different in a myriad ways. And so that was that was important to me. But I also think that probably being from Maine, it's it's hard for me to put words to, but it makes me think of that. I think it's a series of movies, but the one that I watched while I was working on the novel and I really loved was um, oh, Wind Something, Wind, Wind River, maybe? The, it was a movie, I think set out maybe in Alaska or somewhere out west, and it's got um, the, the Olsen, who's not a twin. Yes, <laughs> I'm yeah. awful, with, <laughs> awful with actors and actresses' names. But it was this really beautiful piece, and it reminds me in certain ways of the novel that I was already working on. And it just felt kind of like it had this really strong, like you said, sense of place and this idea of maybe people from this area are going to, it's going to resonate with them in a certain way that is stronger than anywhere else. But I felt like I still was picking that up, even though I wasn't from there. And so I don't, I don't know how to put it to words, but I think you're right that me being from Maine, continuing to live here, setting the story here about other Mainers, maybe there's something there that like almost emotionally, like under the surface, there's something about maybe people from here will feel like they really get the story in a way. Maybe they might associate more with what Tony is going through emotionally. Maybe they'll associate more with what Nick is going through. Maybe they'll see themselves in Julia. And it's something about the fact that you grew up there. That's how you're going to handle this situation. Like, I think that it's appropriate to handle this situation this way. And maybe that would be something that is like true to Maine in particular. Although each of the characters thinks that the appropriate response is different. So Tony's right. really angry and wants to be violent. Nick is obviously quite traumatized and he's telling his brother what he wants and his brother isn't listening. And the wife is like wanting very much to control her husband and can't, and she's very used to following the rules. And I think all of that kind of comes from, from where you grow up. Maybe that can kind of seep into yeah. your idea of what's moral. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, for sure. Um, like you said a minute ago, the the story of the damage uh, really revolves around um, a, a sexual assault that happens uh, yeah. pretty early on, and we've we've all read lots and lots of books um, that have that as as a premise. Um, mm -hmm. One thing that I found very interesting about this book, and something that we almost never see, is that the the sexual assault happens to a male, to to a man, and not a, a woman, like we would see in in so many other you know books that that kind of start with a setup like this yeah. tell me a little bit about where these characters came from you know nick um as you alluded to earlier and his brother tony and then tony's wife um where did these characters come from for you and and what was it did you first have the idea 
you know, for this kind of interesting twist on uh, on on a uh, you know a plot that we've seen before, mm-hmm. uh, or did did the characters come first? Uh, how did how did all this begin to grow? Yeah, it was like ultimately it was first this idea of what would it be like to be married to someone who was like a truly wonderful partner. There was no secret thing that they were actually terrible and you just had never known it the whole marriage or, you know, there's no affair, there's no sociopath, like none of that that sometimes happens in these books. It's like truly a healthy, lovely marriage. And then because of something that is or is not understandable, depending on who you are, like one of the part, one of the people starts to totally devolve and go off the rails. What would it be like to be the other person who's in this marriage who is like, who are you? What are you doing? You are starting to really scare me. I can't control you. Like, what would that be like? And that was the first idea that I had. So Julia and Tony kind of were coming to me first. And then I had this idea that, okay, so I'm going to have it be a sibling of the husband. And I just really early on was like, I, if I'm actually going to spend a bunch of time writing a novel, I don't want to write about a female victim. Like, I just, I don't feel like spending my time that way. And kind of that's, I would want to read the book that didn't have a female victim because men get victimized too. And I I feel like, like, why am I not reading that? And I I still want to do a good job by this character. I don't want to like fridge him, as some might say. Like, I'm at least, I, I attempted very much not to do that. And so I was like, I just... I, I, I'm just going to write a brother instead of a sister. And it was this really quick snap decision based really on just what I wanted to do. Um, and then it ended up being something that maybe obviously resonated with a lot of people and, or at least interested people that they were like, Oh, that would be different to read about. Um, and so I think that really Nick came next, but he, yeah. And then I'm trying to remember what the detective when he came along, but I think first I had this idea of the family members. And then it was when the time came that I like really, really was going to start writing. Like, I think I'm going to try to write a novel as crazy as that sounded to me at the time. <laughs> I, I had this like vague idea for a detective, but then I had this kind of specific idea of who the detective was, how he saw the main character, the woman, Julia, and what is happening later on after the case has ended. And so that's when I had this idea of like, he's going to have called her to his house. He's going to tell her I'm dying and I want to talk to you. And that's going to get her to come there. And then they're going to have this conversation that spans the book. And based on what's happening in that conversation and what his motives are, that kind of, for me, was like who Detective Rice was. And so I started the novel with like the four of them really quite clearly in my head, at least to some extent, um, and kind of like a paragraph of what was going to be happening. And so, yeah, I guess, I guess that's it. Yeah. So (laughs) I'm trying to think (laughs) when you, um, you know, I I love the idea that you started with these kind of character sketches. Um, did, is, is it important for you to, sort of get to know your characters before you start writing them. Um, you know, some people will do that. Some people will start writing and the characters evolve with the writing. Um, for you, how, how did the characters 
grow and how did you get to know them and their story and their quirks and, you know, all the things that make a great character great? I think that to some extent, I definitely did character work before I started writing. I had this document that was like kind of an outline and I had just like dumped stuff about each of them in there. Um, I found it helpful to look up pictures for some of them, but I only had it for a couple of them. Like I didn't even have a picture for the detective or for Nick, but I did have one for Julia and Tony just to like help me like see them as individuals in my head. And um, I did that kind of stuff. And I, I think that some of it, absolutely. I had figured out, but I do think a lot of it, they evolved as I wrote that first draft, by the end of the draft, I had a stronger sense of who they were than when I had started. And then with every single draft, I think that they got stronger and, um, and some of them changed somewhat. I think Julia and Detective Rice were pretty consistent in my mind, but Tony and Nick definitely both changed as I kept working on the novel and they got they got more and more screen time and they got just clearer to me. And I think I also started to figure out that I really needed to talk about masculinity in like a more open way than I had been in earlier drafts. And so as I did that, I think it also impacted their characters. Um, yeah. When, um, when you're dealing with a book like this, that there's, there's so much uh, emotional connection uh you know for all over the place um it, how how do you start um how do you start building the mystery in a story like this like when when something is so kind of in your face and blatant um yeah. where where does the where does the mystery writer in you come in i think that it was really that idea of i'm going to have these i'm going to have a detective and a woman who is going to hopefully feel like the main character. I think she feels like it more and more as the book goes on, but yeah. using her at the beginning is my attempt. At least at solidifying for the reader that this is about her ultimately. Um, but the idea that the two of them are going to be having a conversation throughout the book is going to help build in mystery because you know, by the end of the first four chapters that the crime is a sexual assault. The victim is Nick. He says he knows who did it. It wasn't like he was, it wasn't like a stranger, a complete stranger situation. This is someone he didn't actually know before the event, but he had a long conversation with him. He went to the hotel with this person. Like he could identify him, that kind of situation. There's not a lot of mystery built right. around the crime itself. And so using this conversation between Julia and the detective helps the reader know something else is going to happen and I just don't know yet what it is, but it is something that has Julia very nervous to be talking to a detective. And it has been something that a detective has been thinking about for three years because now he has finally said, you, you got to come and talk to me. I'm dying and I need to talk to you before I die. And so that's kind of the way that I tried to build mystery in right from the very beginning of the draft. And then, for sure, as I went, there were more places where I realized I had the opportunity to inject suspense or mystery in a different area. Um, and I think maybe another example would be that Nick, from the beginning, 
he doesn't have a lot of agency in the fact that a criminal proceeding starts. His friends call the police while they're driving him to the hospital and then kind of it's off and running. And he didn't even really decide whether or not he wanted to bring a case. And so he, um, he has, from the very beginning, he says like, I was hit on the head and I woke up and I knew I had been assaulted. And so the reader doesn't ever see what happens at the beginning of the book. So I think that also injects some mystery in terms of you've got this character, you're in his head, you like him, maybe you relate to him in certain ways. Like I had this example of, you know, he really likes this guy who's jerking him around and he gets stood up and he meets someone else. Like a lot of people can kind of relate to something like that. And yeah. so you, you, you like him, but you have this blank space where he has a blank space and you're not totally sure if, if what he knows is even the truth. And this other guy is saying, that's not at all what happened. And Julia kind of doubts him too sometimes because she used to be a defense attorney. And so she kind of can't help herself. And so you kind of have mysteries surrounding what, what really happened to him because of that blank space that's there. When you got to the end of that first draft um, yeah. and, and you, you knew that, you know, well, the book needs, needs editing and it, it needs some work. Um, but, but it's here, you know, the, the book <laughs> exists, um, you know, it, 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 you know, we've, we've got work to do, but, but it's a whole thing. Um, did you know then that, that this book had the potential to, to be what it is in this final product and to, to find a publisher and to, you know, find a place in the world? Um, did you have that confidence when you finished that first draft? Um, yes and no. So what I, <laughs> and that's such a lawyer answer. It's always, it depends, you know, <laughs> I've maybe. never let go of that. Yeah, <laughs> definitely. Maybe. So, um, I think that I did feel like I enjoyed that so much and I feel such a high right now that I know I'm going to publish a book. Like I, I know I'm going to do this forever. Like I'm, I'm just not going to let myself let go of having this thing where I do it even for just whether it's I get to do it for two hours that day, whether I only had 20 minutes, whether I had to take a day off, but I'm going to be right back at it the next day. I just knew that I was going to keep doing it, but I wasn't sure about the book. I thought that I was really happy with how it read, but I honestly wasn't really sure whether it was like a good idea to have a book that was meant to be an entertaining drama surrounding a sexual assault and of a gay character who's male and I'm a straight woman who's never been sexually assaulted. Like, I just really didn't know if it was almost like appropriate for me to be writing this book. And I didn't know if the book even, you know, should exist. It was just something where I was feeling like unsure about that. And so, um, I gave it to a friend who is a, um, lawyer who works with survivors and she kind of provides like I guess you would say ancillary legal services. So like if you had some sort of um, sexual abuse or sexual assault in a school setting, she might provide you advocacy at school. She might do a protection from abuse for you. She might do a parental rights and responsibilities if the person who had victimized you was your partner and you had a child together. Like she does kind of all of that kind of stuff. And um, I felt like she might be a good, super early person to read the book and tell me like, 
yeah, like you're a good writer, but you shouldn't, you shouldn't go on with this story. And um, she said the opposite. Oh, she didn't say you're a terrible writer and you should go on. But she said, <laughs> you should, you should keep writing this. This is worth, this is worth being a story. And so um, that was kind of what made me feel like, okay, I'm, I'm going to do another draft of it. And then I just kind of did a number of things over the three year period that kept me going on the story that I had chosen to write. Well, The Damage is one of the most unique mysteries that I've read in quite a while, and I know that everyone is going to love it. Um, we're going to put links to it in the show notes of this episode when you're hearing this. It's available everywhere now, and you can go grab it. Just use the link in the show notes or go visit your local bookstore. Uh, you know, the world is opening back up, and, and go go give some money to your local uh, bookstore. They they definitely need it, I promise. Um, yeah. Kate. Caitlin, um, this has been so much fun chatting. Um, if people are just discovering you and want to connect with you, uh, is there a place they can do that online? Yeah, it's funny. Um, I've done a lot of these interviews. Not once have I just said, you can just go to my website. I just, I'm always giving my social media out, <laughs> but they're all the same. So it's easy. My website is CaitlinWare.com. All my handles, I think, if I'm not misremembering, are just my name, Caitlin Ware. I think because that last name where is spelled so miserably that no one else has that name. <laughs> so my Instagram, my Twitter, and I even have a Facebook page that is very poorly managed. Um, those are all my name and I will get back to you eventually, but start with my Instagram if you really want to reach out to me because that's my favorite one to be on. Well, we will link up all of those to make it easy for people to find oh, you. thanks. Okay. <laughs> the damage is available everywhere now. Go grab it. Caitlin, thank you so much for taking time to come on the show today. Thanks for having me, Hank. This was fun. Authors, if you're looking for a partner to help ensure that your book is the best it can possibly be, look no farther than Pico's House. Crystal and her staff make a conscious effort to be critical yet courteous. They also strive to make the business side of things run smoothly so that you can rest easy knowing that your manuscript is in capable hands. Whether you need beta reading, developmental editing, a manuscript critique, line editing, copy editing, or proofreading, Pico's House is the one-stop shop for you. Check them out today at picoshouse.com to get started.